Hello and welcome to episode one of the Brotherly Sports Podcast presented by The Fans Place, where fantasy sports are reimagined. This is an around-the-horn style sports podcast revolving mainly around baseball, but we'll also dive deep into the sports world as well. I'm your host, Sam Wexler, and alongside me are the brothers themselves, the co-founders of The Fans Place, Connor Billing and Rory Billing. Guys, how are you doing? Doing well, thanks, Sam. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. So we have a couple topics that really need to be discussed in the baseball world. First, let's do a little week in review, the standings for the American and National League. Some teams have really had it together. Marlins came out of nowhere to win six straight. You guys have any thoughts on that? I actually, I don't know if you saw on the, the website, but earlier this year I, in our first predictions blog, I highlighted the Marlins as one of the, one of the darker horse teams to watch. Not necessarily good enough to even be a dark horse prediction, but, but a team that I thought had enough depth in the rotation to make it through a 60 game season and sort of be hovering around the 500 line, um, which with 16 teams in the playoff might be enough to get them some postseason action. So I wouldn't say I'm necessarily uh, super surprised, but obviously that's a tough division. So it'll be interesting to see if they can, they can continue this momentum through the rest of the year. I think the Marlins are probably a shot to the more, the more casual baseball fan for sure. It's also a, Granted, they've had a little bit of, I wouldn't, won't call it a break, but with COVID and, and having a little bit of a delay in their season, could be interesting to see if they can continue this hot streak as, as they move forward or if the NLE's powerhouse looks like the, the Braves are starting to get into their stride. The Nationals are getting Strasburg back. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see as they get into more divisional play and play some of those teams, how, how it shakes out for them. Yeah, moving to the rest of the National League, Chicago is 10-3, and three, the Cubs, that is and have a four-and-a-half game lead in the National League Central. And then out west, Colorado coming out of nowhere to lead the National League West over the Dodgers by half a game at the moment. Yeah, I think the Rockies are, what was it, two years ago where they were in playoff contention as well, and then last year was a down year for them by their standards at least. I know with Kyle Freeland having a really poor season that hurt them from a rotation perspective, and He's come out of the gate pitching actually very well, um, more like his 2018 self versus his 2019 self. And we'll hear it a little bit later in the podcast, but also Charlie Blackman just knocking the absolute cover off the ball, I think is helping the Rockies on that. Will they be able to last longer than the Dodgers with the Dodgers rotation? What they have seems unlikely, but it's great to see them, especially since I'm based out of Denver. Great to see the Rockies um, doing some doing some good work at the beginning of the season. And not just relief in terms of pitching. They've got guys coming up from their extra taxi squad. Gavin Lux was sent down early in the season because he needed some more work. But now they're going to bring him back, it looks like, with some of the injuries they've sustained. They, the, the depth, I think, is what made the Dodgers a, a preseason favorite in the NL for sure, especially in a season like this where you can have COVID reasons for players missing out, injury reasons when you have a farm system like they do and all the young talent and the depth. It's they don't miss a beat when a player goes down, whereas some other teams struggle a little bit. And over in the American League East, the Yankees obviously running over everyone in their path. The Rays putting up a little bit of a fight, but that looks like it's a foregone conclusion as long as the Yankees stay healthy. And then in the American League Central, Minnesota and Detroit kind of battling back and forth. Yeah, I, I definitely like Minnesota. Kent Tomeda has been a pretty good addition to that rotation as well. Um, Jose Barrios has looked a bit shaky in the early going, but I think he'll at least provide some quality starts down the stretch. And with that lineup, you know, if you can limit the opposition to three to four runs over six or seven innings, um, they've got a pretty decent back end of the bullpen. That should be enough in most games for them. So 
I think they have just enough pitching help. Randy Dobnak has been a little bit surprising in that rotation too, um, in a good way. Um, and, and that, that, uh, lineup has picked up where it left off and over the last seven days or so there's, they're still putting up some runs. So, um, I, I think that the AL central is probably Minnesota's to lose. Um, the Indians rotation will probably keep them in it for, for a long period. The White Sox is a pretty young lineup has looked dynamic at times, but in terms of having all the pieces together, the twins do look like they're going to be the class of the central. Yeah. And you mentioned Josh Donaldson going to one of his former teams, the Oakland athletics, they're nine and one in their last 10 and 12 and five overall, that may be their division to lose because Houston seems to really be struggling and their main hitters are dead in the water. Yeah. I think the, the A's have a very strong lineup. The only reason they don't didn't win 10 in a row is because of the Mike Trout effect hitting two home runs against them and <laughs> six home runs in his last seven games is he's been on an unreal tear and just so happened that the athletics ran into the angels when, when Trout was really getting into his strides. There's, could have easily been 10 in a row. I wouldn't count the Astros out. I mean, they still – obviously, Verlander's gone down. They lost Cole. Granke's still there. Um, they're, they are struggling a little bit on the hitting side. So, they're still hovering around 500, a little bit under 500. Still got 50-ish games to go. But to your – the Athletics have opened up four or five-game lead in that division. They look like a strong lineup and strong pitching. So, Frankie Montas continues to pitch the way he has and continues to be dynamic and the others can fill in. It, it could be, could definitely be the athletics year to knock the Astros out of the West. Now moving over to some standout hitters and pitchers. I know you mentioned it, Rory, Charlie Blackman, his on-base percentage is 514. So he's getting on base over half the time. It's been a long time since we've seen anyone do that over the course of a full season, but for the sample size we've got at the moment, that's unreal. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think, I mean, you know, we're, teams, depending on whether they play due to cancellations or not, are kind of anywhere from, you know, 10 to 12 games on the low end played up to 18 or 19. So you're, you're kind of closing in on that 25, 33% mark in the season, which means I think you can start putting some of these guys on a, on a 400 watch for a season average. Um, Charlie Blackman is, is up in the sort of the higher part of the 400s. I think he's actually pretty close to 500, even in batting average. Donovan Solano is another name that comes to mind there. Um, a huge surprise for the Giants, hitting around 450. Um, it's definitely not too early to start thinking about, you know, what it would look like for, for those guys the rest of the season if you've played a quarter or a third of the season and you've hit 484 up to this point. You know, all you really have to do is hit about 375 the rest of the way, 370 the rest of the way to, to hit that 400 average. It's certainly certainly doable over the short season. So, Excited for Blackman and, and excited to follow him and, and see if he can make that happen. Yeah, we knew guys were going to put up video game numbers. It was just a question of how many would be able to sustain it the whole way. And it's looking like that might happen. I think so. It's a 60-game season. Anything can happen. You see a lot of the same pitchers again. You start understanding them, seeing them. You come out hot. And you see the flip side of it, too, with Yellick is barely getting going. Bellinger still doesn't look great. So you see these big names that were hitting the cover off the ball at the beginning of the year last year haven't necessarily had the same start. But then you see people like Blackman, who had a down year probably by his standards last year, is, is really hitting as well as some others a casual fan probably hasn't heard of. So it's pretty interesting to see. It's one of the reasons a 60-game season is pretty exciting. And Rory, one guy you had wanted to talk about, Fernando Tatis Jr., yeah, it's kind of nuts. I, I was looking the other day, his 101st game, I think, was last night. But over his first 100 games, 
He has 30 home runs and 20 stolen bases. I believe he's the only person in baseball history to do that over his first 100. That OPS is north of 1,000 over those first games too. So um, he's, he's hitting the ball hard even when he's not hitting home runs. He's getting on base. Um, he plays some good defense up the middle. Um, brings an energy to a Padres team that, that really sorely needed it a year ago. And um, they look like a team that, that'll be a t- tough win for, you know, the other teams in the NL West uh, moving forward. But it's, it's exciting to watch him play, and he certainly is going to be in the upper echelon of that, that young group of players for the next at least decade plus. And speaking of young guys who are going to be around for a long time, Shane Bieber of Cleveland. 3-0 and in his first four starts. He's got 43 strikeouts, which is one shy of the major league record for the start of a season, held by Pedro Martinez, of course, at 44 strikeouts. But Bieber is throwing nasty stuff, and he's got five at least distinct pitches. Yeah, people thought with Bauer leaving Cleveland and some of people forget the depth that's over there with got Carrasco coming back from, from cancer as well as Clevenger and Bieber and they don't seem to miss a beat even when they lose someone like Bauer who's who's throwing heat for the Reds right now too so it's it's a it's a pitching pitching montage over there in Cleveland and and Bieber is definitely leading the way all right let's move on to some things that we liked this past week looking at the Detroit Tigers they scored 30 runs in three games this past weekend and a 17-13 to 13 victory against Pittsburgh really solidified them as one of the highest scoring teams in the American League, at least right now. It's kind of nuts. I mean, when you look at that lineup, um, you kind of, at the beginning of the year at least, you'd wonder where, where those runs were going to come from. Um, Goudrum looks like he's getting a little better at the top of the lineup. Miguel Cabrera obviously is on the opposite side of his career. Jacoby Jones has been tearing the cover off the ball at the, at the bottom of the lineup. He's looked like um, sort of a great defensive player for a while, but it's a bit, been a bit surprising what he's done with the bat. And then it seems like every night there another, another guy is hitting in that lineup, and, and um, it's a bit surprising what the Tigers have done. I, I don't feel as strongly about the Tigers moving forward as I do about the Marlins, uh, to be honest. I think, you know, they're pitching outside of uh, Spencer Turnbull um, unless they bring up any of the three-headed monster that's fast approaching and Skibal, Mize, and Manning, those guys stay down. I don't know if the pitching is going to sustain them, but um, <laughs> it's one of those things with short seasons. The sample sizes are crazy, but, you know, seeing Detroit near the top of some AL team, team leaderboards and hitting statistics is pretty nuts at this point in the season. Yeah, for sure, a crazy situation. And part of the Detroit onslaught offensively can probably be attributed to the poor bullpen by the Pirates, seeing as they are pretty close to just throwing out second baseman to throw the eighth and ninth inning for them. But on a positive note for a run production that doesn't rely on crappy pitching, the Yankees have been running over everybody that they face, it seems. Judge hitting monstrous home runs again. Yeah, I think it's that's coming as no surprise to anyone. We've got a lineup like the Yankees have that everyone's expecting them to, to hit. And then I mean, the question was always going to be, was their pitching going to be good enough this year? And when they saw Tanaka go down with a liner to the head, it was good to see him come back and pitch well in his first start since. Garrett Cole has, I think, just missed out on his 20th straight win. So it's nothing, if nothing else, he's he's pretty standard. He's They know what they're going to get with Cole. But those bats, I, I wouldn't want to pitch against them, and I don't think anyone does. And if we head for a, a Yankees-Twins face-off in the, the ALCS, we could be seeing – home run records be set for playoffs uh, if those two teams meet up in in a playoff series 
and we mentioned it briefly a few minutes ago, but I want to hear your guys' takes. Are the Marlins actually good, or is this just sample size bias early? Man, I'm, I'm playing the flag. I think the Marlins are going to be around 500 for most of this year. Um, I think they've got a 50-50 shot at one of those NL wildcard spots. I mean, they don't have to be top two in the division. Um, they could still be third in the NL East and potentially sneak in at 30 and 30 if they end up playing 60 games. I think they're actually pretty good. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they sneak into the playoffs this year. I think they have a shot. I think it's telling that four of their seven wins came against the Orioles, which are not necessarily a premier team in the MLB. So they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat if they want to be 500 or a little bit above. And um, you can't make the playoffs if you're not beating those teams. Losing two or three against the Mets, I don't see that as a huge issue, especially since one of those losses against DeGrom is on a bad day is close to unhittable. On a good day, you're, you're lucky if you if you hit anything he's throwing. So it'll be interesting to track them over, over the next week, and we can talk about them again next week on our next podcast to see if they're still above 500 and on a trajectory to, to be at the near top of that NL East. Yeah, Connor, another team you had penciled in as one to watch was the Athletics. They had a walk-off, and although they did get beat by Mike Trout's multiple home runs, they've been phenomenal as well. They have. I think they've already had three walk-offs this year in their 12 wins, so 25% of their wins have been walk-offs. So one could say that the baseball luck is on their side at the beginning. Their hitters, the hitters that are hitting are no surprise. They have solid pitching. They have a good bullpen. They've been good for the past four or five years. They've just had the unfortunate expense of being playing the Astros many times a year and running into that lineup and those pitchers. So with the Astros reeling a little bit, I think this is the A's year to win the AL West and, and come out of there. If their pitching can stay consistent and they can stay healthy and um, they keep getting a little bit lucky, I think they have a great chance of winning that division. And Rory, I know you wanted to talk about some of the bigger bats that were showing up in the past few days, if not the past two weeks, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Christian Yelich have finally turned it on. And Juan Soto, now that he's done testing positive, he's back and he's really smashing it. Yeah, it's been kind of odd that playing fantasy baseball this year, I mean, your first three picks were probably one of either Acuna, Trout, or Yelich at the top there. And then you could have gone any direction with Soto, Betts, Bellinger. Um, none of those guys really got off to, to a good start. Um, but here in the last week or so, Acuna started to, to hit a little bit, Trout, is back up to where his numbers usually are. It took him about three days to go from, you know, 200 up to about 333 um, with the batting average. Yellick is still a little bit slow going, but over the last week he actually provided some some positive fantasy points for some people. And then, then Soto obviously was on the shelf for a little while, but um, hasn't really skipped a beat returning. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, some of those, some of those slow starts, what those stats look like at the end of 60 games. I kind of maintain that any of those guys could have a, a two-week stretch that will more than completely erase the slow start, and, and, and we'll see some of the stats that we expected by the end of the year. Um, but it's it's been good to see those bats heating up because, you know, baseball is always at its best when the best players are playing their best. So um, looking forward to, to seeing that continue the rest of the year. Now let's move on to some things that we hated. Personally, I really didn't like to see all these guys get injured. Mike Soroka, pitcher for the Braves. Justin Berlander out for who knows how long. He says he'll be back soon. His doctors say he's done for the year. What do you guys think is the worst injury or the most unfortunate at the moment? To me, it's Soroka out of those, the, especially when it's Achilles and it's an Achilles injury and you're dealing with a pitcher and a lot of their power comes from their legs, trying to come back from something like that. 
is so tough and he's such a young bright talent and was looking to anchor that Braves rotation as well so to me that's probably the one that's going to be the hardest felt by a team I think the Astros have a little bit more depth losing anyone of Verlander's caliber is always tough but they've also had great success the past few seasons obviously a World Series championship so I think to me it's Soroka and it's never good to see an injury. It's even worse when it's such a young star and talent that could be with a very devastating injury like an Achilles injury is. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo that. I definitely think it's Soroka. He looked awesome last year. I was excited to watch him this year. I think the Braves are a fun team, um, an exciting team. They've got youth on both sides of the ball, both in the rotation and, and in the lineup. Um, and I was looking forward to seeing them challenge for the uh, – the NL crown, I, I still think they've got a shot, but without Soroka, it'll, it'll be more difficult. You know, Soroka is also not a high strikeout pitcher in the mold of some of these other younger pitchers. He, he almost has a little bit more of that kind of Greg Maddox quality to him um, in a lot of ways. So I was really looking forward to seeing him, you know, do what he does on the mound, which is a bit different than how everybody else is getting taught and coming up. Um, unfortunately, it's probably going to be, another year before we're able to, to watch that again. Connor, what did you hate this week? Sometimes the fights are fun to see in baseball. You, baseball gets a bad rap of being boring when you, you might be a casual fan, and then sometimes fights can bring a little bit of excitement to it. I think when it's a fight like what happened between the A's and the Astros and you read the stories about what was said, it doesn't paint a baseball in a good light. Obviously, the, the suspensions just came out. One is 20 games, one six games. Um, you never really like to see that type of fighting. Obviously, players opting out and more positive COVID tests. What happened with Cespedes kind of just pulling a disappearing act and, and leaving was interesting. I know hurt, hurting my fantasy, fantasy team specifically, Stroman just opted out as well, and he was a draft pick of mine, and I was hoping it was going to come back. So it's the unpredictability and how COVID's impacting the sport, and you always want to be able to see all the players you want to watch. And it's unfortunate that that's not happening. It's great that we have baseball in some, in some aspect of it. Um, and it's still exciting for baseball nerds like myself and Rory, but it would be great if we could have everyone on the field um, and not see the, the kind of the fights and, and what happened between the athletics and the Astros. For sure. And Rory, what did you dislike about this past week? Yeah, for me, probably was watching a couple of the Cleveland pitchers break protocols um, and get some suspensions handed down to them. Um, you know, obviously, all the players are under some pretty strict procedural guidelines for safety reasons, and everybody out in the world is is going through a lot of the same stuff and um, understand that mistakes happen, but um, it would be good to see some of the players not doing that, so they're not putting themselves in jeopardy, they're not putting other people in jeopardy, and and uh, then ultimately not putting some of the season in jeopardy. So I, I don't know if that'll be the last time we hear of that. Uh, MLB has come out and said they're going to hand down some pretty strict punishments for breaking protocol. It doesn't look like that's happened for either of those guys just yet. It'll be interesting to see if they get any more than what the team has decided to do with them. Um, but hopefully we don't see too much more of that the rest of the year. Yeah, Zach Plesek and Mike Clevenger, namely the ones who were busted for going out to – get some food or do whatever they were doing. And then the Cardinals allegedly going to a casino and now they've been out of commission for the past two weeks. Right. And you've seen a couple episodes of that in some other sports as well. I know the premier league has had um, a few incidents. Um, you know, the NBA has had an incident or two of players leaving the bubble. So 
you know, with this many players, a couple of them are going to choose to do their own thing, but, but hopefully that's, that's a minimal amount and hopefully it doesn't affect the safety of, of everybody else involved. All right, let's move on to what we're going to watch this next week. Personally, I can't wait to see the resumption of play between Baltimore and Washington, and I want to see how the suspended game is going to work moving on this season in such a weird year. Yeah, I, um, I'm kind of curious, too, partly just to see the end of that game, but partly because there's been a lot of confusion in some of my fantasy leagues about whether the points from that game retroactively apply to the week that's already been played or whether they're going to apply to sort of the new scoring period. Um, it appears as though they're going to retroactively apply, which is kind of a big deal when you don't have that many scoring periods to begin with. And I was in a couple close matchups. So it'll be intriguing to see how, how the end of that game works both in the real world and, and, and in the fantasy world. I'm also pretty interested this week in the Braves-Yankees matchup. That's a pretty key matchup. It's one that we could see again in the postseason. Uh, both teams are teams that have some World Series hopes. So looking forward to that matchup. And then sort of towards the back end of the week, the Indians-Tigers matchup. A month ago, I certainly would have been, wouldn't have been penciling that in on my calendar, but the Indians have obviously been pitching well. The, the Tigers have been hitting pretty well, and I think that'll be a series to figure out whether the Tigers really have any real hopes of, of contending or not. Um, if they're able to pull a couple games from that rotation uh, over the weekend, um, that'll, that'll indicate that they might be a little better than we expected. Yeah, I can't wait to see the Braves play Miami because those two teams of the last 10, Atlanta 6-4 and four and Miami 7-3, and three, so a combined 13 wins in the past 20 games for those two teams going into this weekend, that should be a pretty high-power matchup. And Connor, what about you? Yeah, I think from my side, the clutch hitting and all the games athletics tend to play seem to go into the late innings. Then you have the trout effects at the beginning of this week. The A's play the Angels. Angels, for whatever reason, always seem to start out slow in the beginning of the year, and they start and they play a little bit better as the season goes on. Now that Trout's back too, they're six and eleven right now. It'll be interesting to see if they can creep closer to that five hundred mark. Given that when Trout's in the lineup, it's there's always a chance they're going to win. It'll be intriguing to see that and see if the Athletics can keep their role going um, to increase their lead in the AL West, and then also the the Dodgers and the Padres play each other at the end of this year and. Obviously, Fernando Tatis Jr., we've talked about a few times. He's a must-watch. You know, the Dodgers powerhouse of, if not the entire NL, at least the NL West. Uh, but now Padres, we should expect them to challenge them for the crown. Maybe not this year, but the next few years, with all the young talent they're bringing in, what they're doing. So it'll be interesting to see if that San Diego-Los Angeles rivalry can heat up again, given they're only about a, a two-hours drive from each other. So it would be fun to see if San Diego can start bringing in some some serious baseball talent to heat that rivalry up. Um, so I'll definitely be watching those games this weekend. And you mentioned Fernando Tatis Jr. and some other players to watch. I want to watch anyone pitching for Cleveland. It seems like their mound has something special in that rubber. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Bieber always is a much watch. <laughs> Clevenger and Plezak were must watches until they, <laughs> until they had their, their COVID issues. You know, even Aaron Savali has, has put in some good work. Carlos Carrasco, it's awesome to see him coming back strong after the, the you know, after having cancer uh, last season. So that, that's, it's pretty special watching him pitch. You know, for me, on top of that, I'd say Matt Chapman is a guy I've been watching all season. He kind of had a rough start to the season, but as soon as the calendar flipped over into August, last 10 games, he's hit five home runs, average over 300, OPS over 1,000. Looks like Ramon Laureano is going to get a, uh, 
five or six game suspension here. So I, I don't know. They're, they're probably better players in the AL, but I don't know if anyone's more important to their team, to a contending team, than Matt Chapman is to the athletics. His defense is phenomenal. Uh, he hits the ball really hard. So be interesting to see what he continues to do. Um, he was one of my picks for potential AL MVP. And then you know, I mentioned at the top of the podcast, but I'm on that, that 400 watch. I would love to see someone hit 400 this season. Um, obviously it won't mean as much as it would over 162 game season, but, but it would still be a cool accomplishment. So going to continue to watch Charlie Blackman and Donovan Solano, a couple others who um, in the early goings look like they have at least an outsider shot. Yeah. Outsider shot uh, like DJ LeMayhew who won the batting title. He's got at least one under his belt. And if he can hold on to it in the American league, he's got 397 right now closest competitor for the batting title is Lewis with the Mariners at 373. So DJ LeMayhew knocking the ball all around the park, and it looks like he'll probably be able to get another title. Yeah, it's good to see DJ LeMayhew obviously get away from what people would try to call the, the benefit of being in Colorado for the first years of his career and show that he can hit outside of being at altitude too. It's not just being playing half your games at Coors Field, but he's got – Great talent, great plate presence, and can hit it all over the field. So it's good to see him do that consistently a couple years in a row. All right, now let's move on to our Saturday game picks. Rory, who are you looking at specifically this weekend? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the segments we're going to do on this on this show, um, you know, if you haven't downloaded the Fans Place app, you definitely should. We're in the Apple Store and in the uh, Android um, Google Play Store. Um, each Saturday we put six games out there for selection. You have to pick winners for each of the six games and, and, uh, the winners, um, however many you pick is, is how many points you're going to get for that week. Um, one of the games we have in there this week, you know, hopefully it's played is, uh, the White Sox against the Cardinals. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take the White Sox in that one. It looks like Lucas Giolito is lining up to start for Chicago. Um, he's the best arm in that rotation, had a rough opening day, but has been pitching pretty well since then. He, he has some issues with some control, um, but uh, the strikeout numbers are still there. Um, I think he gets through a St. Louis lineup that might be missing a few people due to some Kobe concerns, and I think the White Sox have enough firepower to handle whoever St. Louis throws at them on the mound. So that is my game pick for this week. I'm going to take the Cubs over the Brewers, I think with Yellick still struggling a little bit as long as he doesn't get hot before the weekend and the way the Cubs have been hitting. They do have Alec Mills on the mound, so a little bit of a of an unknown there. But Milwaukee's projected star is Adrian Hauser, too. So a little bit of a crapshoot from the probable starters perspective, but I think the Cubs lineup this year has been very strong. I, I expect it to be the same, so I'll, I'll take them over the Brewers this weekend. You read my mind, so I'll go with a different one. I'll pick Colorado over Texas because, as we mentioned, Colorado's got plenty of hitters that can move the needle, and Charlie Blackman's just one of them. Do you guys have any uh, last thoughts before we head out? I guess my final thought is, you know, for a couple of these teams, by the end of this week, they'll have played 35 40% of the season. So, um, you know, in a normal season, that's – 60, 65 games, you kind of have an idea who the contenders are, who the pretenders are. I'm not sure we're really going to know by the end of this week, which means I think at the 40, 45, 50 game mark, we're still going to see 20 plus teams in contention for those, those 16 spots. Um, but at least some of these, these fast starters, we've talked about the Rockies, we've talked about the Tigers and the Marlins. I think by you know, another six or seven games, we should have a little more of an idea if, if they're going to be hanging around towards the end of the year or not. So um, definitely look, looking forward to that.
I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the Reds, at least the hometown team. And going into this week, I think they've gotten the slate, the Kansas City Royals and the Pittsburgh Pirates. So hoping they can pull off a lot of wins this week and bump themselves up above the 500 mark um, and start really gaining gaining traction in the NL Central and start challenging the Cubs for the next one, the next time they play them. Um, hopefully the two of them are battling for the top spot. Yeah, one last thought that I had is that Rory, you talked about teams being at the 20-game mark by this weekend, whereas the St. Louis Cardinals, now that they've had this week's series canceled against the Pirates, they've played five games, and they're going to be at 25% of the total games as other teams. What, what impact do you think that's going to have on the standings? Yeah, that's going to be kind of crazy. I mean, they're either going to have to make up, obviously, a whole bunch of games in doubleheaders, or MLB is going to have to come out, you know, and specifically say that um, – winning percentage is going to be the indicator at the end of the year in the standings. Um, so I, you know, we don't obviously have any idea what the Cardinals are going to look like um, moving forward. Five games, certainly not enough time to, to understand how good a team is. They, they tend to be one of those organizations that even when you, you might count them out, but they tend to always be in the thick of the, the pennant race towards the end of the season, no matter what happens, pretty well-run organization. So I, you know, um, I'm just hoping they get back on the field sooner than later, and and a lot of this, you know, a lot of those positive tests clear up, and uh, we can see we can see what they can do. That's all for this week and episode one of the Brotherly Sports Podcast, presented by the Fans Place, where fantasy sports are reimagined. If you'd like to contact us with suggestions or questions, please use the contact form on the Fans Place website at thefansplace.com. We hope you enjoy the podcast, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.